Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 13. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. You may be seated. So we have spent enough time speaking about the enemy, and I'm sure you get it. Or if you do not, ignore him at your peril, because he is a very, very powerful being. But at the same time, we must not give him so much credit that we think that he's so powerful that we have no hope, because we know greater is he that is in us that is in the world. So Jesus constantly told his disciples, do not be afraid, do not fear. Today we're going to look again at verses 10 through 13, and you're probably wondering, how long can we spend on these few verses? Actually, we could probably spend the whole year on it, but we're going to look specifically at verse 11 again. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And I want to make four observations of putting on this armor to fight the devil before we go into each part of the armor, which will come in the coming weeks. We'll look at first action, whole or wholeness, owner, and order. Those four aspects of this armor. And they're sort of an overview of the armor itself, of why we need to consider verse 11 very specifically. So let's first look at action. That is to say that the armor calls us to action. Paul says, put on the whole armor of God. Satan is unceasing in his attacks against you. He is not a gentleman. He does not give you a pause when you are tired or you don't feel like putting on your armor today. He takes advantage of every moment you decide, I'm not going to put on my armor today. And he will strike blows with his, as Paul describes it, his flaming darts against you. One of the greatest temptations we have as Christians is laziness. It's the idea that we can get by with the bare minimum. We really need to do nothing or very little in order to fight this fight. Or that we can do things our own way apart from God's way. Those who believe in God's sovereignty should be most active in faith, most pursuant in working out salvation with fear and trembling. Because you know you're saved, you know the cost that it took you to, took to save you, you know that there is nothing you can do to save yourself. So because of that reality, we act, we put on. Paul describes it in Thessalonians. He says in 1 Thessalonians 1, 2, that you are to work out your faith or to work in faith. So those two words are not contradictory to one another. They truly are complementary. But Paul also warns us 
in 1 Corinthians 10, 12. And listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Too many Christians, according to Paul, fail to heed the warning that God gives to us. We believe perhaps that we will never turn away from Christ. We will never commit a terrible moral failure. That, that's not possible for us. But we can't read 1 Corinthians 10, 12 and believe that that only happens to certain types of people. There has to be a, an awareness, an alertness that is incessant, that continues. We declare in our hearts, perhaps, like the Pharisee towards the tax collector, I sure am glad I'm not like that sinner over there. And the more we have that heart, the more we are really prone to fall. The reason is because the more we think we are powerful or secure or gifted or intelligent or articulate or spiritual based on our efforts alone, the more we are susceptible to this place. And this person who thinks that way has not put on the whole armor of God. I was listening to a podcast with uh, Colin Hansen and Paul Tripp. Paul Tripp had written a book a while ago called Dangerous Calling. Some of you might have heard of this book. It's a book written for people who are considering the possibility of becoming a pastor. And so to help those who are possibly going into pastoral ministry, he wrote this book to navigate some of the pitfalls that come in pastoral ministry. He was discussing in uh, this, not that book, but his latest book, describing that book. It's sort of a compendium. It's a complement to that book. And it's some lessons he's learned since he wrote that book. Now, what's interesting about it is he describes the fact that on the first book, if you were to turn around of Dangerous Calling, look at the uh, the list of endorsements, more than half of the list of endorsements of the pastors who endorse that book have fallen. This is a book that was written to pastors on how to not fall, and half of those pastors have fallen. And he was describing the tragedy of that. You know, how easy it is to not be alert, not be aware. How does that happen? It happens because we do not take to heart Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 10, 12. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he warns rightly, when you think that you are strong and probably invincible, when you've had some great victory, the danger is to feel that nothing more is necessary, that you have become such a strong Christian that you imagine you can easily stand. Wow, that's a real warning for us. We must never think that because we're doing well or had a certain experience, that there's no way we could ever stumble and perhaps even fall. The enemy does not wait for you. He doesn't give you a vacation. He doesn't give you time out. You can't call time out on Satan. He does not give you a moment's leeway. He knows your weaknesses. He knows your penchant to believe that you are spiritually strong, that you are capable He tempts you to forget grace for others. He tempts you to think that others' weaknesses 
and frailty cannot be yours because you're too strong. That when we are looking at others with disdain or put them down, or even in our hearts, we don't have to do it verbally, but in our hearts, look down on someone because someone has struggled or fall. And when you hear of a pastor falling and you say to yourself, oh, look at them. What a bunch of hypocrites. That person is in danger as well. The one who is pointing out always, always, always put on the whole armor of God. Take heed lest you fall. So take action. Second is the word whole. Put on the whole armor of God. Why does Paul use the word whole? Because one piece or a few pieces of armor worn or utilized is insufficient to fight Satan. You actually need every part of it all the time. Think of this from the perspective of war, which is the point of this passage. There is no enemy in this world stronger, more powerful, more cunning, more strategic than Satan. He is under the triune Godhead, but only God alone is more powerful than Satan. We are not. Without Christ, we are woefully weak compared to Satan. And there is no military force, no nation stronger than Satan. So he will attack you on all fronts and take advantage of any opening he has. And all it takes is just one small opening. You can think that, well, maybe if I could just attach these parts, most of it, I don't have to wear this one, Lord. No, Satan will take advantage of that. You need the whole armor of God. Let me use a physical illustration. The illustration of King Ahab from the Old Testament. Some of you know him. He and King Jehoshaphat, so Ahab was the king of the northern Israel, and Jehoshaphat was king of Judah, southern Israel. And they were out together to fight Syria. Ahab convinces Jehoshaphat to actually wear his royal robes to battle, thinking the Syrians are going to target him. And I have no idea why Jehoshaphat decided that's a good plan, but he did it. He listened to Ahab. They go into battle, and they go disguised he, uh, Ahab goes disguised as a regular soldier, so no one knew who Ahab was. They all knew who Jehoshaphat was. But here's what happens in 1 King 22, 31 through 34. Now the king of Syria had commanded the 32 captains of his chariots, fight with neither small nor great, but only with the king of Israel. And when the captains of the chariots saw Jehoshaphat, they said, it is surely the king of Israel. So they turned to fight against him. And Jehoshaphat cried out. And when the captains of the chariots saw that it was not the king of Israel, they turned back from pursuing him. But a certain man drew his bow at random and struck the king of Israel between the scale armor and the breastplate. Therefore, he said to the driver of his chariot, turn around and carry me out of the battle, for I am wounded. You know, Jehoshaphat, I mean, I'm sorry, Ahab died that day because of a small opening of his armor. Now, that can happen physically. If Ahab could die physically from a small opening not covered by his armor, Paul is saying very similarly that if we are not covered by the whole armor of God, we are susceptible to that spiritually speaking. If God says we need the whole armor, then we need the whole armor of God. 
Again, moving forward, we're going to go into in each individual piece of the armor, but you might say to yourself, I don't know if I really need the helmet of salvation. Do I really need the belt of truth, the sword of the spirit? So some parts would say, wow, the breastplate of righteousness, that's for me. But others might say, I don't really need that. I have that. Take heed lest ye fall. Remember that God calls us to bear this all the time because Satan knows you. He knows that there are perhaps pieces missing when you decide, I'm not going to put that on. And what God is saying here, because God is the one saying this, is that if you do not wear all the armor all the time, you will be susceptible to Satan's attacks. So as you go through the series, you should be asking, am I putting on the whole armor of God or just a few pieces? What's interesting also is the word for armor is the Greek word panoplia. It's where we get the word panoply. And that word where we think of perhaps armor, and the problem is that we have in mind a suit of armor, like a knight, a medieval knight. But the word panoplia is more than just a suit of armor. It actually includes offensive weaponry. Hence, the sword of the spirit is part of that armor. You might not think of the sword as part of the armor, but it is. It's the panoplia. And so God doesn't give you his armor so that you can merely bear blows against you. That is one of the purposes of the armor. But also, the armor is given for you to be on the offensive, the sword of the spirit, prayer. These are pieces by which we are meant to attack. And so this is not a, a cry to say, hey, let's, let's stand back. Let's just bear blows. Let's just take a beating and it's okay. No, we need to fight. We need to be on the, the prowl, on the move, mobilizing. And it takes all of the armor, the whole armor of God against this terrible enemy. We need the shield of faith. We need the sword of the spirit. We need the belt of truth. We need the breastplate of righteousness. We need the shoes shod with the gospel of peace. We need the helmet of salvation. We need to pray. We need it all. We need it all the time. And we have to do all that we can to encourage one another all the time. You know, for the past few weeks, my family and I were on vacation in the East Coast. And spiritually speaking, vacations can be fraught with danger. Because it is far too easy to let your guard down, to let your armor, your panoplia go during such times. So easy to take a vacation of God. I had more time to watch and read the news. And unless you have the helmet of salvation, the sword, the shield, you can be overcome with anything. It could be the news. It could be just relaxing. It could be your thoughts. Think of it this way, that you can be overcome with worry or anger or general irritability. And if that's you, then know that you need the armor of God. If you're not intentional about the sword being able to cut through God's word and you lower it, then our hearts are in danger. The shoes planted to fight with the gospel of peace. 
Your schedule is not what it used to be, perhaps, in such times. And you think, relax, you don't need the armor. Here's the thing. Every moment, every context, every situation, Satan is at work to lull you to sleep, to try to get you to lower defenses. If not all the armor, just one piece. Just one. He knows if you miss one piece like Ahab, Ahab, he can still kill you. If you are missing even the belt of truth, you can't fight because your robes are flowing everywhere. You're doomed. And in this day, in an onslaught of ideas flowing everywhere that run contrary to the gospel with the media on college campuses, in social media, in books, sometimes in churches, without the belt of truth, James says we'll be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. There will be all sorts of deceits and lies coming your way, atheistic philosophers who always are so smart that they undermine God's word. And God's word is so much lesser. That's what it seems like. Cult groups, political action committees, even those in the church will be tempted to think pragmatism over God's word. I can't tell you how tempting it is all the time for us to think strategically, pragmatically, practically, and never once going back to God's word. We as elders must never, ever be at a place where we only think of what is most practical, what is most strategic, versus what does God's word say? In discipleship groups, it's not what does psychology say, what does counseling say, but what does God's word say? in conversations. It's always because that is Satan's number one tactic to get us to move away, to drop a piece of armor. He knows one drop of one armor and you're liable to be really cut down. So we need the whole armor of God. Let's not forget then third, whose armor this is. According to Paul, this is the armor of God It's God's armor, not our armor. He's the owner of this armor. That means to fight this fight, it is not about your wisdom, how smart you are, how experienced you are, how charismatic you are, how strong you are, how much fortitude and perseverance you have. All of those things should flow out of our hope, our trust in Christ. But without Jesus, all of those things cannot fight a spiritual war. This is God's armor. It's not 0.01% our armor. It is God's and God's alone. And for many of us, this should be quite comforting to know that it isn't us. But for some of us, it's also frustrating because that means that it isn't our strength, and we want it to be our strength, because it seems easier when it is about us. What do you mean, I can't make a difference in this fight? We might be asking. Or if I could only take a drug, one drug, and, and make this go away. What about developing a plan or strategy? That's the problem with all this, is that By doing so, we fall into the snares and the schemes of Satan that he has set for us. He wants me and you to believe that our strength is all that we need to fight this fight. 
I think I shared this before, but I've been watching a TV show with my son, Jack. It's called Alone. And what's interesting about it is that there are these survivalists who try to survive as long as possible in some really difficult places like the Arctic. And one of the ways in which they try to survive is to catch usually squirrels and rabbits. And one way they do that is to set up these small circular snares. You just put it into a rabbit trail and then just set a little circle right there. And the rabbit goes in, puts its head through. And the thing is, once they get stuck, it works against them because the more they try to escape the snare, the tighter the noose becomes. So the the more energy expend, and eventually they just die because of their own strength. I think you know where I'm coming with this. This is exactly Satan's scheme. The more you try to use your own strength to fight him, the tighter the snare. And the more, the tighter the snare, you're left for dead. Think of a conflict you've had with a loved one. Have you ever tried to use fine-sounding arguments, as Paul describes it, against a loved one? I find that the more I try to use my own strength and try to argue my case and with a loved one and, you know, and try to push my point, the more difficult you sort of put your foot in your mouth and it becomes worse. The conflict gets worse. Everything starts escalating because it really is that idea is the, the more you put in your own strength, your own power, your own abilities, your own hurts and your own experiences to fight this fight the more we suck the life out of us because Satan knows that's exactly how it works. Rather, we need the sword of the Spirit. What does the sword of the Spirit say? No, let us bear with one another. Love one another as the Lord has loved you, so you must love one another. And you hear those words, you know, Christ died for us. Be compassionate. Extend grace and mercy and kindness. And the more you have the sword of the Spirit cutting deeply, as Hebrew says, deeper than any sword could ever go to the deepest marrow of your bones. And when that happens, suddenly Satan's schemes are just obliterated. Take another sin like anxiety. Anxiety has this vicious cycle. The more you worry, the more things start spinning out of control, your job, your family troubles, your, the economy, the elections, life. And the more you think about that, then you start worrying more. And the snare starts tightening. Versus, do not be anxious about anything, as Paul says to the Philippians. But in everything, with prayer and petition, supplications, give thanks to God. God wants to free us. He gives us his word, the sword of the spirit to do that. But oh, how we do not want to believe that. We don't want to use God's armor. We want our own. And so we turn to sociology, economics, psychology, medical science, um, history, all of these means by which we try to figure it all out, philosophy. And the more we do, those have benefits, but they cannot protect the soul. They will not defend you against the mortal enemy who is after not your physical body, but your soul. We cannot fight this fight with our armor. We must never try. 
Most importantly, the last one is order. The order is crucial. Look at verses 10 and 11. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. I don't think that's some random happening where Paul puts that first part, verse 10 there, and then put on the whole armor of God. That order makes a huge difference. He's intentional about saying, you have to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might in order to put on the whole armor of God. It's not possible to try to put it on yourself or to have God put it on without the first part, without God doing the work. Paul has pronounced majestically in Ephesians. Just go through Ephesians. If you have the Dwell app, listen to Ephesians, read it, and you'll see just sink into chapter 1 through chapter 5 verse up to verse 14 and all of it is what's called the indicative it's the statements about god all of who he is that he chose us in him before the foundations of the world that we should be holy and blameless you know that he has redeemed us that he's abolished the dividing wall he's done all of these things and then in verse 15 it starts moving forward with the imperative here's what you must do then Verse 10 is sort of that final, finally get this, all that God has done that Paul has written about to this church in Ephesus. He's saying, this is how we are to be strong in the Lord because he's doing the strengthening. It's passive. He's There's a passive activeness to it. He's doing the strengthening for you. He's strengthening you to be able to now put on the whole armor of God. When Paul says that we were dead in our trespasses and sins in chapter 2 of Ephesians, that we've been saved by grace, that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus, let us not forget the means by which this took place. Look at Ephesians 1, 7 through 8. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. Jesus died. He bore our sins on a tree. Because of that death, it is possible to finally be strong in the strength of his might. That is to say that only a Christian can put on the whole armor of God. And you could see why, because the order is critical. I like Martin Lloyd-Jones' use of the illustration of David and Saul. Remember when Saul was going to, uh, when David was going to fight Goliath and he went to King Saul and he told him, I'm going to fight Goliath. And what did King Saul say? He said, well, if you're going to do this, you should put on my armor. And he put on the armor. Remember what happened? It was gigantic. I mean, he was a boy. And so he's, armor is heavy and it was big. Maybe the helmet just collapsed on him. I don't think it was that medieval type of helmet, but you get it. It's It was so big that he's like, I can't fight in this. Instead, he says, I'm just going to fight with the way that I'm used to fighting. And he goes and gets those five smooth stones. So he cannot fight the enemy with this big armor because he wasn't ready for it. it he, that wasn't one day he would wear the armor, but not now. That wasn't how he was trained. We can't fight this enemy thinking, if I do this and this and this, and I put on this armor, then everything will be okay. Without God strengthening us to make us actually fit into the armor, 
we'll never be able to fight with that armor. A great illustration of this is in Acts 19, the seven sons of Sceva. They thought this way. They saw Paul casting out demons and doing miraculous healings. And so they figured, hey, let's use the same words because that's so cool that these people are casting out demons in Jesus' name. So they go around to try to cast out demons in Jesus' name and to do these miracles. And this is how Luke describes what happened. In, uh, in Acts 19, then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, overpowered them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. Wow, that says something, huh? One guy against seven guys, and they all flee naked and wounded. What did Paul have that they did not have? Because they were repeating the same words. Do you see that it's not some sort of magical incantation? That is to say that if you're going to approach a demon-possessed person and you try to say, in the name of Jesus, I demand you to come out, nothing could happen. Because if you do not have the strengthening of the Lord. In other words, if you're not a true believer of Christ, oh, you do not want to face Satan that way. But if you are a believer of Christ, then put on the full armor of God. And we can do that. We need to realize that what makes this battle possible, what makes our ability to be able to put all this on, everything that I'm going to talk about moving forward is the fact that we know that we have been bought and purchased by the blood of the Lamb. We don't just know it. It is deep in your soul. You know it to be true, and that's how you're living. That's how you're seeing the world. That's how you're interpreting world events and the news and the media and all that's happening. That's how you're thinking about COVID. That's how you're thinking about what's happening with the church or in life with your family. It's because you know that you've been bought and purchased by the blood of Christ. With that, we can put on the full armor and the whole armor of God. We should. We must. And when we do, the enemy is deterred. He is defeated. He is beaten. My friends, put on the whole armor of God to fight this infernal enemy. And the only way to do so is to recognize God's power. I love what Isaiah describes in Isaiah 55, 1, what God says to us, to his people, to his people Israel, to God's people us. He says, come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters and he who has no money, come buy and eat, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. How can God, how can we come to God this way freely without paying for anything? Because it has already been paid for. The reason why God says, come without money, come, I'm going to bless you, come without anything, is that I've paid it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He paid the price so that we can be strengthened in him, in the power of his might, so that we can put on the whole armor of God, so that we can stand against the schemes of the devil. And when that happens, he who the sun sets free is free indeed. Let's pray together.
Father, you are a God of mercy and grace. Your love knows no bounds. We know this to be true because you sent your son who gave his life so that we could be set free. And from that very strength and power, we are able to overcome. We are able to put on the whole armor of God. The enemy flees. We can stand against his schemes. We will not be ensnared or trapped. Every time we stumble and fall, may we remember the cost that was paid so that we might be freed. I pray especially for those who have never trusted in the name of Jesus, Lord, who have and are continuing to buy into the lies of the enemy. We pray that they would come to believe the living God. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. We believe that wholeheartedly to be true. So for those who have never trusted in you, oh God, we pray that they would believe in you today, right now. Who knows how long we have in this world. So we pray, oh Lord, for that person to turn and turn their eyes, lift their eyes towards you. Father, for those who are struggling and stumbling and falling, may they remember what has happened for them, what the cost was. And from that cost and that price paid that we can put on the whole armor of God. We thank you, Father, and we pray that as we sing this last song in response, that we remember this mercy and kindness that you've given to us. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.